For the past few months, we've been in a teaching series in Exodus. It's a book that talks about the great redemptive event of God rescuing his people out of slavery in Egypt. And it's also a book that pulls back the curtain and shows us the kind of God we have and the kind of people that God wants us to be. And so if the first half of the book of Exodus was focused on rescue, the second half is focused on relationship. Who is this God? What is this God like? And what does it mean to be in a relationship with him and with one another as his people? See, those questions form the basis and the, and the focus in Exodus from here on out. But here's the thing. It doesn't mean that because the focus shifts in the second half to relationship that rescue somehow is, is left in the first part of the book. It doesn't mean that rescue isn't important anymore or that our relationships become untethered from the rescue of God. Instead, as we're going to see today, rescue always has been and always will be the foundation and the fuel for how we are to live in relationship with God and with one another. And that's really important as we come to what's called the Ten Commandments in the book of Exodus, this authoritative teaching that we are going to see God give to his people to govern how they relate to him and relate to one another. It becomes really important so that it's not just a list of do's and don'ts and shoulds and shouldn'ts, but that it actually is founded with grace-fueled obedience. And so as we continue to have our thoughts formed alongside the people of God in Exodus and what it means to be his people, Join me in Exodus chapter 20, and we pick it up in the first verse where it says these words. It says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now, we need to stop there because what we likely hear when we hear the Ten Commandments is do more, try harder, earn God's favor. When we hear the word commandment, we instantly start to think rules, a list of do's and don'ts, things you should do and things you shouldn't do, something that is a burden and not necessarily a blessing. And in a world where you and I are already carrying burdens, the very idea of having another burden added to us from this ancient teaching that we're supposed to follow, it can be just a bit too much to take, can't it? We need burdens lifted, not burdens put upon us, right? And so when we come to this text, this is a very real human response to what might be viewed as nothing more than a bunch of ancient and outdated rules from another time for another people. But what if that's not what the Ten Commandments are? What if they aren't just a list of do's and don'ts, but a way that God has given us to unleash life and relationship and not limit it? Or put it in another way, what if God's commands are not a burden, but they're actually a blessing? See, it might be hard to see how this could be true, but notice as Exodus 20 begins, how does it start? Before anything else is said, what is the first thing that is said? Verse 2 says, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This is a significant start because it means that the Ten Commandments don't start with go and do this. It starts with look at what God has done. Who God is and what he has done for his people back in Egypt is the foundation and the starting point for everything else that's going to come after verse 2. Before anything else that God does, before anything he, else he says, before he tells his people to do anything, God starts by reminding his people who he is 
and what he has done for them. He says, I am the Lord, you are God. I'm Yahweh. I'm the creator and ruler of the universe. I'm the one true God who has always been, who always will be, and who always is. I'm the God who heard your cry in Egypt and saw what you suffered. And I'm the God who moved towards you in order to rescue you from a life of slavery. I am the Lord, your God. And I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt and the house of slavery. I'm the one who came down to break the chains of slavery. I'm the one who judged Egypt's gods and defeated Pharaoh. I'm the one who put them to shame. I'm the one who split the sea and brought you into a life with me. You were slaves, but now you're free because of what I've done for you. This is who I am, God says, and this is what I've done for you. This is the starting point. The Ten Commandments do not begin with go and do this. It's look at how great this God is and what great thing he has done for his people. This God is unlike anything or anyone else. We're reminded that as we think about who this God is, that he's loving and compassionate and gracious and powerful. That this God is a rescuer, that he is mighty to save, that nothing can stand in his way when he sets his mind and his heart on rescuing his people. This is where Exodus wants our eyes as we begin. This is where it wants our thoughts. This is where it wants our attention and our thinking right from the get-go. It wants it on this God and what this God has done for his people. Meaning that when we come to the Ten Commandments, grace always anchors what God asks. Grace always anchors what God asks. Before this God tells his people to do anything, he always reminds them of rescue. I remember when I was holding my oldest son, Levi, when he was a baby, and I remember looking at him and thinking to myself and actually saying it to him, like, Levi, there is nothing that you could do that would ever make me stop loving you. I'm probably not going to like everything that you do. I'm probably going to disagree with what you do sometimes, but nothing you do, buddy, ever stop making me love you. See, when I said that to my son, it made me realize that love my love for him is always going to be the anchor of my relationship with him. And my second son, Jack, that love is the anchor that's going to form the foundation of how I relate to my two boys. But that doesn't mean that I don't teach them or I don't set up guardrails so that they can have the best kind of life, the kind of life that God created for them. See, a part of what it means to love my boys is to teach them how to live, to show them how to be a good person, to help them learn what it looks like to love and follow Jesus in this world. And as a father, I know my own heart is that when I'm doing that, when I'm putting guardrails on their life, it's not to limit their life, it's actually to unleash their life, to bring out their fullest potential so that they can actually have the kind of life that God says he created us to have. See, that's why I teach them. That's why I set guardrails on the lives of my kids because I love them and I want good things for them. And that's what we need to see in Exodus 20. It's how we need to come into this passage about the Ten Commandments that as a good father, God loves you and he delights in you and that is never going to change, that nothing, the Bible says, can separate us from the love of God when he sets it in our hearts. And because God loves you, he wants to teach you how to live. He wants to show you the way to have the kind of life that he created you to have. And when we start to see things through that lens, it changes the picture of how we come to the Ten Commandments. It means that Christianity isn't about rule-keeping, it's grace-fueled obedience. It's doing what God says because we are loved and accepted 
by him. And here's the thing, we have to get that part right. See, if we don't get that order right, then we're getting off on the wrong foot. We're actually reversing it, and we're actually going to start falling into religion when we reverse it. See, religion says, I obey, therefore I'll be loved and accepted by God. But the gospel of Jesus, the message, the good news of Jesus, of who he is and what he's done, says, I'm loved and accepted by God, therefore I obey. Therefore, I follow what God says to do. Do you see the difference? Religion switches it from the way it's supposed to be. One way of living leads to pride and despair, and the other way leads to life. And that's what God wants for his people. He wants us to have life to the full. He wants us to have the best version of life, the life we were always meant to have, but we lost because of sin. Jesus said, this is one of the reasons I came in one of the Gospels about his life story, John chapter 10, verse 10 says it this way. Jesus is talking and he says, I came so that they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to give us the life we've always dreamed of, but we could never find on our own. The life that we're searching for, the life that we're hungry for, the life that is that would give us everything we've always dreamed of and wanted. And we get that life when we put our faith in Jesus, when we trust in him and what he's done. But here's the thing. Salvation is only the first step. It's a great step. It's an important step. But it's not actually the final step in our journey with Jesus, learning to live the way of Jesus is. And that is something that is going to last the rest of our lives. Salvation is a moment in time, but our sanctification, becoming like Jesus, is a journey that we take with him for the rest of our lives. So Jesus gives us life, and he teaches us how to live the life that he's rescued us into. And for us, we can look back to the teaching of Jesus called the Sermon on the Mount as kind of the summation of his way. This is our version as God's people on this side of the cross and resurrection of the Ten Commandments. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount shows us a way to live as citizens in God's kingdom. That's where you and I can go to learn how to relate to God and one another as God's people. But remember, in Exodus, we are before Jesus, and so this is the first time that God gives them an authoritative teaching to show them how to relate to him and to one another. For Israel, the Ten Commandments revealed who God was and how he wanted his people to live. This law, this teaching called the Ten Commandments was to be the guide for God's people, to show them how to relate to God and to relate to one another. And the first thing that God wants his people to know about this is that he wants his people living from love and acceptance and rescue and not for it. That's the anchor for all that God asks of his people. And if we're to understand the Ten Commandments and what God is doing with them, we need to grasp this. We need to come back to this and hold on to it and see this as the foundation and the fuel for everything that comes after. Grace always anchors what God asks, and what God asks is always fueled by his grace. And now, with that kind of preparatory work, we're ready to move into the rest of Exodus 20 now. Now we can read the Ten Commandments like this. Because God is who he is, and because he has graciously and powerfully rescued you from a life of slavery to be his treasured possession, this is how you are to go and live with him and with one another. Exodus chapter 20, 
verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. And so before God tells his people to do anything, he rescues them. But out of that rescue, out of that reminder of his great work of rescue, he says, this is how I want you to go and live. And all those commandments that we just read, they explain that in detail to God's people. And in these commandments, we see God's vision for his people. First, that it's a community that orbits around him. This is a group of people that God has brought together to worship one name and one name only, Yahweh. All of their life is an altar dedicated to worshiping the God of creation, Yahweh. This is a people that God has brought together to whose allegiance is to God and God alone, who are committed to worshiping the creator and not the created things, not idols or statues or anything made, but the one who made all things. That is where their allegiance is. That is where their worship is meant to be directed. It's a group of people who honors God by honoring his name. They treat his name as holy and sacred and not something to misuse. It's a community that orbits and is focused on and is oriented to one name and one name only. Yahweh, the God of heaven and earth. Secondly, it's a people who live differently than the world while living in the world. See, this people that God envisions, they have a value system and way of doing things that sets them apart from all other nations, from all other people groups in the time that they're living in. They have a different pace to their life. Notice it says that one day a week, God's people are to cease from work, to stop their everyday duties to rest, to devote a day to God, to reorient their life and refocus their life to the things that ultimately matter, to, to rest, to, to do Sabbath and to keep it once a week. There's a different pace to the life of God's people that God wants them to have. Notice they also worship differently and they treat each other differently. They're a holy nation, a people who are holy because the God they serve is holy. It's a people who are set apart who are meant to live differently within the world as they live alongside others. And finally, it's a community of love and justice. It's a community that God wants the children to honor their parents, to listen to them, to respect them, and to take care of them into old 
age, to give honor where honor is due to those who have lived longer, to honor your parents' children. It's a community that doesn't kill one another or take what isn't theirs from one another. It's a community that doesn't sleep with people who aren't their spouse and fights the desire within them to want what they don't have, to want what someone else owns. It's a community of people that orbits around God, who live differently than the world while living in the world. And it's a community of love and justice. This is God's vision for his people, a vision he casts by giving them the 10 commandments. And it's a people who are set apart by God for a grand purpose. This is something else that the 10 commandments do. It's that God has a grand purpose for his people and that is why he gives them in part, this teaching called the Ten Commandments because he wants them to show the world who he is and join him in seeing salvation reach to the ends of the earth. If you flip ahead in the part of the Bible called the Old Testament, there's a prophet named Isaiah and through Isaiah, God says these words about his people. He says, I will make you, Israel, as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And so here we see that God rescued his people and made them his treasure possession among all other peoples so that they could show the world who God is and what he's like by how they live together. See, God's people were to be God's light shining into the world saying, there is a God unlike any other God and you can know him. Salvation was meant to go out into the world through God's people. This was God's vision from the beginning. This was the grand purpose that he had for Israel, that they would know him and join him in bringing salvation to the world. And they were to do that by standing out from the world around them, by living in a counter-cultural way together. They weren't to look and sound like everybody else. They were to be set apart. They were to be different. They were to look and think and act and be like God's people, the people that he rescued them and is forming them to be. And how do they learn to do that? They needed something to to give them that vision for how to do that. They needed something to show them what it looked like to be God's people in the world. And that's what the Ten Commandments are. It's why God gave them to his people, because he wants to teach his people how to go and be his people and to fulfill the grand purpose that he has for them in the world. And when we see them in that light, It helps us to understand that God's commands are not burdensome, they're actually beautiful because they help us to know God and they help us to know how to be his people in the world and to fulfill the calling that God has given us. This is what God is after when he gives his people the Ten Commandments. This is what he's teaching his people to become and to be. And at this point, this is only for Israel. See, the the goal is for the whole world at some point in the future to live by this law, by this teaching of God. But at this point, the teaching is for Israel alone. They need to receive it, they need to learn it, they need to understand how it applies to their life, and then they have to actually go and live it out so that they can be the people that God rescued them to be. See, no other nation in history had a God like this and a set of teachings like this. And what's striking to me, when you look at the Ten Commandments, is that at the heart of God's vision for his people is relationship relationship with God, and relationship with one another. See, this is the backbone of the Ten Commandments, and you start to see that in how the commandments are divided up. 
If you look back at Exodus 20, commandments 1 to 4 are God-focused. They're heavenly-focused. They're oriented upwards to, to, to God. But then commandments 6 to 10 are people-focused. They're horizontal. They're earthly-focused. They're, they're having to do with relationship between humans. And so you have God-focused commandments and people-focused commandments, and together they form the heart of what it means for God's people to be God's people. And what this means is that rescue is the foundation, but relationship is the focus of the Ten Commandments. Significantly here, God's intention is for his people to have a life centered on him and his teaching. Put another way, God always intended for his people to have a reference point outside themselves. And in a postmodern, post-Christian culture, this is one of the greatest struggles to come to terms with is to have this reference point, this authority or this focus outside of ourselves and not inside of ourselves. Because in today's world, the greatest and highest good is personal autonomy and freedom. See, we live in a cultural moment where we struggle with ultimate authority. We struggle with someone having ultimate authority over us. See, in the past, as you look back over our history as, as a society, external authorities like God and the Bible and tradition, they carried weight in people's lives. They, they taught us how to be, how to think, how to relate to others, how to live in this thing called society. But today, there's been a rejection of all external authorities and a move towards authority actually being located in us, not outside of us. The message is, I'm the captain of the ship. I'm in control. I'm the boss. I get to choose what is right and what is wrong. That's the thinking of culture today. And the answer to any external authority is to throw off the constraints and relocate authority in ourselves instead of God or something external to us. And the result is that life has become more disordered than ever before. I like what author David Wells writes about this. He described this shift as losing our center. He says, as the 21st century is beginning in the West, part of that disorder is the sense that life has no center, that it is adrift, that it has no meaning. The biblical answer about why we have lost our center is rather straightforward. The center has not been lost. What has been lost is our ability to see it, recognize it, to bow before it, to reorder our lives in light of it, to do what we should do as people who live in the presence of this center, this other, the triune, holy, loving God of the Bible. And so in other words, we've pushed God out of the center, or he's always been there, but we are refusing to keep him there. And when we push God out of the center of all things, something has to fill that place, and that something has become us. We've become the center. We become the authority. We become the shaper of what is true and what isn't. And so the Ten Commandments come along, and they challenge our desire to have authority over our own lives. They confront our desire to be the boss, to run the show, to have control, and to decide for ourselves what works and what doesn't. And I know that when I look at the Ten Commandments, I feel this tension. I feel it pushing against me, this external authority, and sometimes I just want to push it away. Sometimes I don't want it to be there, but I can't ignore the reality that God gave this to us, and it helps me to understand the intent and purpose for why God gave it to us. Because the whole purpose of the law was this. It was to teach God's people how to relate to God and one another. God gave this authoritative teaching to his people to form them into a people whose lives were oriented upwards and outwards, to be the kind of people who love God and love one another. And the Ten Commandments are simply God saying to you and to me, this is how you go and do that. 
And the inescapable reality for me and for you is that we need something outside us and beyond us to help us love God and love people well. See, the problem is that you and I, we were created to live lives that were oriented upwards to God and outward to people. But when sin entered the world, the power of sin is that it turns us inward. We were created to live upward and outward, but sin turns us inward. And two famous theologians named Augustine and Martin Luther, they described this inner turn with a Latin phrase, incurvitas in se, meaning turned in on oneself. And so when sin entered the world, humans became turned in on themselves. They focused on themselves instead of being focused on God and others as they were created to. And despite our best efforts, despite the work that we do and the, the energy we put into it, it is impossible for us to escape the inward pull of sin on our own. And this keeps us from living lives as we were created to live. Left to ourselves, we will spend our lives navel-gazing. Navel this, this came to light a, a, about a year ago in our, in our family. I mean, we just, it was front and center just how inward focused we are. And it's a funny story. But one time, uh, my wife Catherine was walking through her house and she stubbed her toe. And it really hurt. And so she's on the ground and, and she's in pain. And our oldest son, Levi, sees her stub her toe, sees her on the ground writhing in pain because she stubbed her toe. And in that moment, he looked at my wife and said, Mommy, I'm still waiting for that snack you promised me. Incurvitas and say. That's what it looks like. It's navel-gazing. It's not looking outward to what is going on for my wife or upward to God. It's looking at me and what I want. And so from a very young age, it's before us, is that we need something outside us and beyond us to reorient us back to the way we were created to be. And for God's people in the Old Testament, Israel, it was the Ten Commandments. That was the way that God showed them how to love God and put him first and how to love one another with respect and dignity and with justice. For us on this side of the cross, we have what's called the great commandment. Jesus taught it. One time this, this, this individual came up and asked Jesus this question in Matthew 22. It says, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. There it is. Love God, love people. An upward and outward focus to life. First, love God with all that you are, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second, Jesus said, is love others in the ways that you would like to be loved. Love God, love people. From the very beginning, all the way back to the Ten Commandments, trace it all the way forward to Jesus' great commandment, God always wanted his people to live lives that were oriented upwards and outwards. And the problem was that the law helped, but it couldn't solve the deeper issue. It couldn't solve the problem of sin. It just merely exposed it. And that's why you and I, we need Jesus because the work of Jesus has the power to change us on the inside and has the power to solve the deepest issues of our heart, which is sin, and begin orienting our hearts upward and outward again, pushing back against that inward pull of the power of sin, not just for a moment, but increasingly more so over time as we walk with Jesus and allow him to change us on the inside out. See, the law couldn't do what the love of God in Jesus can. And God's plan all along was to see this 
law move inside to be written on our hearts, not on tablets of stone. There's a prophet named Jeremiah, and he actually spoke this and looked ahead to the day when Jesus would come and make it possible for this to happen. In Jeremiah 31, it says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. See, God's plan all along was to do something in Jesus that would change us on the inside and reverse the inward-turning power of sin to release us into lives of loving God and loving people and the way that we were always created to be. God's plan was always Jesus. And when you and I put our trust in him and we lean our lives against Jesus and we allow him to form us and work in our lives, God's power comes and starts working inside us in the control center of our being. The Bible calls it the heart and it begins to change our hearts to look upward and outward in the way that we were always meant to. This is the power of Jesus and what's possible when you tether your life to him. That as you trust him and you walk with him over time, he's going to form you increasingly into a person who loves God and loves people. Into a person of love. And as God forms you and he forms me, we as a community grow in our ability to become a people of love, who love God and love one another in the way that God intends. That's what God is up to. That's what he began with the Ten Commandments. That's what he wants for you and for me and for us as a church family. To love God and to love people. That's what God is after. And So as we close, let me ask you two questions. Wrestle with these. Talk to God about these. First one, what part of your life has turned inward when it's meant to be turned upward and outward to God? Is there a part of your life where you just notice this self-focus, this self-reliance, this inward turning, where you know maybe you don't, but in some ways maybe God will lead you to see just how you've turned inward when you should be looking outward to others or upward to God? What is one area of your life that's turned inward when it's meant to be turned upward and outward? Secondly, what's one thing you can do this week to love God and to love people? What is it that you need to do to put yourself in a position to receive the love of God, but also express your love to him? What's one way that you can actually take the love that God's given you and share that with someone else in your life? What's one thing you can do this week to love God and love people? Ask God. Ask him to reveal what that one thing is. Ask him to reveal how you can actually go and live this out. Put yourself in a position this week. And allow God to reorient you toward him and toward others because that's how you were created to live with God and with God's people. And that's what the Ten Commandments lead us into, to be a people of love who love God and love one another. And that, my friends, is what it means to know God and to be a part of his community.